Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It is Friday before the 4th of July, and Options Action starts right now. Here's what's coming up. With the VIX at new lows and the NASDAQ 100 approaching a rarely seen inflection point, Carterworth guides you through a potential window of opportunity. Then, from windows to floors, Tony Zhang is looking to play an opportunity in a name we don't cover very often in a very specific subsector of housing. Finally, we know you'll probably be on vacation next week. So Professor Ko is getting you set now, two weeks ahead of the Big Bank Earnings Barrage, because the early bird gets the income. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. The VIX just hit new lows, and now the Nasdaq is behaving in a way that's only happened a handful of times in history. Carter Worth explains why that is important right now. Carter. You bet. An unusual circumstance indeed, which is to say you can go up two weeks in a row or three. But now we have a circumstance where the QQQ and the Nasdaq 100, the index on which QQQ is derived, are up seven weeks in a row. And we're going to look at what happens thereafter. And while one could say it's not really statistics, it's just data mining, the facts are the facts. And we're going to look at them together. First, a chart. So the Nasdaq 100, this is weekly bars. And what we have now is an ascent of seven consecutive weeks. Now, if you look at the next slide or table, you'll see just what exactly uh, this is in the context of history. So this has happened 17 other times. This is the 18th instance or circumstance where you have seven consecutive weekly advances. Now, the NASDAQ 100 goes back to February of 1985. So if you were to take all rolling seven-week periods, you've got a 1,894 of them. And uh, this has then happened 17. You divide that, of course, it's an incident rate of less than 1%. The real question is, what has happened thereafter? Interestingly, the market is up, albeit uh, sort of in a slight way. Take a look at the next table. So what we have here is looking out to week 8. Next week, it will matter. Week 9, week 10. The median and mean gain you can see in the table there, um, while not all that uh, robust, it's up, and the odds of being up are substantially, well, above average next week, and then it, it becomes 50-50 thereafter. So the, the issue here is, is it right to maybe trim a little bit or uh, sell some premium or take some measures or stay for uh, a little bit more? All of that is fair. Final chart, here is the NASDAQ 100 with its 150 moving average. Notice it's bounced to the penny twice in the past six months, and we now have just slightly made new highs as the mid-cap and the Russell have not. Thank you for that, Carter. Mike, what do you do here? Yeah, so uh, as Carter pointed out, and as you just mentioned, the VIX has now hit a post-pandemic uh, low. So we traded around 14 and a half in the VIX today. To put things in perspective, uh, the 150-day moving average for the VIX at the end of 2019 uh, was over 15, right? So that should just give us some context that we are now entering a level of market complacency, at least as it's implied by options premiums looking out 30 days uh, on the S&P 500 that we haven't seen since well before the pandemic. And what's interesting to remember when you have a circumstance like this is that, of course, there is information contained in that. Right now, 
Uh, basically, those markets are telling you that we've been in a low volatility environment and that we should expect one, at least for the near term. Um, so how do we deal with this? If you have a market that you feel is beginning to get extended, if you are identifying the fact that options premia have declined, there are ways you can try to take advantage of that. And I think one of those ways, if you're invested, is to say maybe this is a tactically a decent time to contemplate putting on a hedge. And the hedge that I was looking at specifically, referencing the NASDAQ 100 and the triple Qs that Carter was just talking about, was the September 355 330 put spread. That's a $25 wide put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, the 355s were about 10.89. The 330s were about 4.60. Net net, you're spending about $5.89. Let's just round it up. Call it 5.90 for simplicity. So that's a little over 1.6 percent of the current level of the triple Qs. And you could use that, of course, whether you happen to hold triple Qs or whether you happen to hold some of the key constituents of the Qs, which are going to be the biggest and most common names that we can think of. And essentially, you're going to be spending a little over 1.6% to get protection uh, down nearly 8% or so. And I think that's one of the things that you can do. Look, hedging all the time is expensive. If you had to pay 1.6% of your portfolio value every three months, that would drag on your returns very heavily. But if you're doing it after you've already seen all-time highs and a two-month stretch of gains, maybe that's a better time to take a look at it. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, so the the trades with these types of hedges, the trickiest thing is always the timing aspect of it. And Mike last week spoke about the skew index, talking about the skew that we're currently seeing from options prices. That's certainly very elevated historical record highs that we've seen. And that shows us that while the potential pullbacks here are relatively elevated, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're probable. And if you look at the VIX and the VOLQ, which is the uh, NASDAQ 100 volatility index, both of those made a new low, 52-week low today. But also, if you look at the VIX term structure, the three-month VIX versus the front-month VIX, the three-month VIX is still fairly elevated at 19%. And that ratio of that three-month VIX to front-month VIX of over 1.3% shows that the markets are further complacent. So you have a lot of evidence that that there's a lot of complacency and this again talks to the fact that there's a, a more elevated probability of a pullback but not necessarily a probable one and that's what makes a put spread like this uh, the right trade to make to potentially hedge because as Mike said he's only risking 1.6 percent of the in ETS value to put on this hedge what that means is that and between now and September, if the markets continue to rise another 5-10%, you're only taking out about 1.6% out of that gain. So you're not giving up upside in exchange for this downside protection. So I think it's a great way to protect a portfolio against some short-term volatility that could materialize over the next couple of months. Yeah, two quick things I would add to that. He was talking about the term structure and the fact that the September options are are elevated relative to the near term. That actually is a fairly common thing that we see. Generally speaking, you're going to find that the premium for options beyond Labor Day are going to be higher than those that could run through the end of the summer. September, a lot of people think of October as being a highly volatile month. Historically, September is as well. And you know, oftentimes, is it because people are coming back from the beach? I don't know what the reason is, but seasonally, we do tend to see more volatility in the September time frame than you do in July and August. So that's one of the reasons for that. I think it's justifiable. And this also, of course, gives us some time uh, on our hedge in the event that we continue to see the melt-up that we have been seeing. Well, Tony is also seeing a rare opportunity in a name we rarely talk about, and it's in plain sight right under your nose or maybe your feet. <laughs> Tony, what is it? 
Yeah, so the, tr the stock that I want to take a look at here is Mohawk, uh, a stock that we usually don't think of very much within the Home Builder Index. They're the, one of the largest makers of carpets and flooring, uh, an essential piece of home building. So uh, if we look at the chart here for Mohawk, uh, a long-term chart here, this is a, a six-year chart, you see that $175 represents a fairly significant support level that broke below that in about 2018. And we finally got back above it here in March. And after breaking above it, we've come back to retest this level as support and bounced higher. So this is the opportunity that I see for substantially uh, further upside, especially if you look at the long-term charts. And if you zoom into the short-term charts here, recently we've seen about almost a 25% pullback in the past two uh, months. And recently we just broke out above that bearish trend line. So I do think that the on the short-term charts, you have uh, the, the timing for uh, further upside here. And then when you look at the business itself, this is really where I think this is quite interesting. Uh, you know, you have a company that's growing revenues about 15% this year, and it still trades at about 15 times earnings, which I think is relatively inexpensive considering the business generates about 30% gross margins and about $1.3 billion in free cash flow last year. So this is a business that I think should be trading closer to 17 to 18 times earnings, somewhere around the $230 mark. So the trade structure that I'm using here reflects what I believe is a stock that's oversold but still fundamentally sound and relatively inexpensive is to go out to August and I'm buying the 195 220 call debit spread here paying about eleven dollars and twenty cents for that August 195 uh, call option and collecting about two dollars and ninety cents for that August 220 paying net net here about eight dollars and thirty cents which is about four percent of the underlying stock price uh, betting that this will rally back up to the recent highs around 230 or so Carter, what do you make of the charts? Do you uh, see that rally coming? Right, so what's interesting is where the stock stopped and pivoted just recently is right off the 150-day moving average. That's an important circumstance, which is to say, if GARP has a certain look, if you will, this is a stock that's been prospering, ascending since the market low, and then has had a, a pretty mean sell-off. In fact, the peak to trough decline at 23% is almost double the sell-off of the move in home builders. And so uh, that's the opportunity, right? A stock that really sold off more than its peers, if you will, and now has bounced where it needed to, the 150-day moving average, and in principle um, has a lot of cyclicality. Just to put that in context, I mean, as a business, you know, this stock earned basically 850 in 2004, earned 850 in 2020, meaning that's a lot of years with not a lot of earnings growth, none. But the cyclicality means you can have a lot if things continue to progress. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the important things to take a look at here is, you know, we are at sort of at a crucial point right now. Are we in a market that is extended and is going to reverse, or are we just going to continue to see what we have? This is a stock that had a recent setback. So if you're thinking, I want to press a bullish bet, I want to do so in a way that limits my risk, that's when you would say, okay, well, maybe I'm going to purchase some call options. But the important thing here is that call options by themselves, trading at about 40% implied volatility for an at-the-money three-month call option is a little pricey. I mean, consider if the VIX is 15, this is the equivalent of 40. It's considerably more expensive. And that, I think, is the reason why Tony is looking at a call spread. So in terms of the trade structure and why you would be using options than simply going out and purchasing the stock or purchasing a call outright, it makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Don't forget, we have a website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. And the website has a newsletter, so sign up. But first, here's what's up next. Coming up. Professor Ko prepares you for the next earning semester with a special covered call to action. Plus, 
Calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. We know you're probably not doing a ton of options trading this holiday week, but two weeks from now is very important. And the best time to prepare is, of course, now. Professor Coe explains in a special covered call to action. Mike, take it away. Yeah, so covered calls, we don't talk about them that often. It is actually one of the most common options investment strategies. And I highlight that this is an investment strategy rather than a trading strategy because what you're going to be doing is selling calls against stocks that you already own. Why do people do this? It is essentially to give themselves an additional source of yield. And that, of course, can certainly help, as bond investors know, your investment performance over the long time. And it can also help mute the volatility of your investment performance. And so this is a a trade that you typically will do, though, on stocks that you don't think have a massive amount of upside. Why is that? Because, of course, by selling the call, you are going to be foregoing some of that upside. Now, the two-week event that we're talking about, of course, are a slew of earnings from all of the big financials, Goldman, Citi, Bank, J.P. Morgan. All of these companies are going to begin reporting uh, in a couple of weeks. And this does two things, uh, but one of the more important ones is that it does tend to elevate options premiums in the near term. So I was taking a look at Citibank and taking a look specifically at the August 6th 75 strike call. Now, the stock was trading about 70 and a half bucks today. You could have collected about 71 cents if you sold that when I was looking at it earlier today. That's more than 1% of the current stock price. Those options expire 35 days from today. So again, collecting 1%, maybe that doesn't sound so great. But if you're collecting 1% every 35 days, that actually creates a material amount of yield. And you want to try to take advantage of situations where you've had stocks that have had good runs, where you think the upside might be a little bit limited, where you have elevated options premiums. And again, this is an investment strategy. Do this again and again. And sometimes it might go through that short strike, sometimes not. But you can definitely start muting the volatility on some of the stocks you own by doing this. Yeah, Carter, you view financials in in much the same way as you do energy from last week's show. That's right. I mean, financials just, it's a question is, is, are you getting paid for the risk? Remember, beta adjusted or risk adjusted to really not keep up with the market. It's a problem. Let's look at a few charts just to put that in context. So the first is XLF. We know this to be the sector ETF. And obviously, uh, you can see there that we've broken trend, albeit slightly. But the really, uh, the bigger issue is this. Look at the next chart. This is the exact same time frame. Yes. And it's basically taking the XLF just before the pandemic hit. And so we have a sector uh, that has not recovered on a relative basis to where it was. The bottom panel's relative performance to the S&P, even as it's made um, new absolute highs. And then look at Citi, uh, the next chart. I mean, this is sort of really kind of tragic. I mean, now you've got a two panel, but it's Citi on the top, Citi's relative performance to XLF on the bottom. So the final chart, and this really is just three comparative lines, this tells the whole story. Citibank is below where it was before the pandemic. Financials as a sector are up 20%. The market's up 40. Most big banks like JP Morgan, the BKX, the KRE, they're all well above where they were. What's wrong with Citi? Something must be. Calling Citi tragic, Tony, had uh, caught my attention, that's for sure. What do you make of of Mike's take uh, on financials and the strategy? 
Yeah, so this is one that I'm somewhat conflicted on because when you look at the business itself, it's Citigroup is actually one that I really like. Uh, you know, we're expecting about 11% EPS growth this year after what has been a flat year la last year. It trades at a fairly steep discount to its peers. So, uh, but if the technicals, as Carter showed you, they they're very poor. There's no way to put. There's no other way to put it. You have that failed triple top at $80. That's concerning to me, and the fact that it broke below the 100-day moving average is concerning. That it's going to continue down to the 150-day moving average. But more most importantly, is that relative chart to the financial sector. The underperformance here for this is the reason why I do think Mike's strategy of selling a cover call here is the right strategy. I think Citigroup should be trading back towards 75 to 80, but I do think the the 75 strike price, which Mike chose, is the right strike price. That's about a 22 delta. Usually when we sell cover calls, I like to go a little further, uh, a little lower in terms of deltas because I uh, tend to prioritize capital appreciation of the underlying stock over income. But in this particular case, I do think because of the poor technicals, it makes sense to be a little bit more tactical, choose a higher delta. It's going to collect a little bit more income in this particular case. Like he said, 1% of the stock's value in about 30 days or so. Um, that's going to help offset some of that volatility. It's going to provide a little bit of downside protection going into earnings. Mike, last word. Yeah, I mean, you still have about 8% upside in the stock if you do this anyway. But I think Tim addressed the important point about 30 minutes ago when he talked about the yield curve. If you take a look at the 10s right now, you'd like to see a steep yield curve. That's usually a tailwind for financials. We don't see it right now. All right. Up next, lost in the Amazon? Don't worry, your guides are still here with you. We'll explain right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. This weekend, Jeff Bezos leaves his post at Amazon. But two weeks ago, Mike and Carter went on a trek into the name. Now we see that, of course, it's starting to move above the downtrend line on the bottom panel. So good setup, absolute. Interesting developmental action relative. Make your bets. Ours is long. I was looking at the August 3650, 3850, 3950 broken wing call butterfly. This isn't a trade we talk a lot about. You'd be buying the 3650 calls, selling two of the 3850s, and then buying one of the 3950s. Since then, Mike, the stock is almost flat, maybe a little higher. So what do you do? Yeah, I mean, the stock obviously didn't break out at that moment at long last, but this continues to be a name that I like. We have still a bit of time to go to expiration. We are short options around the ones that we own, and that's one of the reasons you want to have a spread like this, that you get a decay offset. We have it. I'm going to stay with it. All right, let's uh, take some tweets here. Our first viewer asks, I own the UUP January 25 call. was looking to sell the July 23rd, 27 call next week. Is this too short dated? Tony, your thoughts? So first of all, July 23rd is three weeks out, not next week. So I don't necessarily think that's too short. But generally speaking, I like to go about 30 to 45 days out. Shorter dated options, you're just going to have to manage them more frequently than the longer dated short, short options. Yeah, Mike, your two cents? A little bit of calendar school education there. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's right. Selling, uh, selling shorter dated options against ones you own is a trade I generally like, and I think we did actually have a bullish trade on the dollar. All right, our next viewer asks, Las Vegas Sands or Disney in the second half of 2021? Uh, Carter, how are the charts look? Well, uh, Disney's what I'd call a pair of twos. It's stuck uh, going nowhere, sort of tying up capital and mindshare. Uh, LVS would be the favorite of those two, but Caesars even better.
Ah, oh, he pulled a third one out. I don't know if that was a choice there. It wasn't, um, but we'll allow it. Mike Coe, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, one thing I will say is that I think, you know, we don't really know what's shaking out Delta variant and all of that, but I do think I rather like Disney. I like Disney Plus. I like their diversification of businesses. Um, but it is true, Las Vegas Sands obviously had a prolonged period of weakness, and that may be the opportunity. Yeah, this is an interesting one. This is how do you play the recovery, Tony? So what would you say? Uh, I, I certainly think that you have a little bit more leverage from Las Vegas Sands and you have some online betting thrown in there. So I do think that that has, just in my opinion, a little bit more upside uh, than Disney. Uh, Mike, just going back to you in terms of how you might structure a trade here, what would you do seeing that uh, volatility is so low? Um, and, uh, you know, these are definitely reopening plays. Yeah, no, they certainly are. Although I will point out that a name like Las Vegas Sands isn't going to enjoy the kind of low options premiums That's that we see in SPY options and Q options and things like that. So actually the trade that Tony was talking about earlier in Mohawk is the kind of trade that I would use if I was taking a look at Las Vegas Sands, a way to offset the fact that implied volatility in that name is a little bit higher if you still get to participate to the upside. All right. It is time now for the final call. Last word from the options pits. Carter Worth, what do you say? Cues can inspect a little bit more on the upside, but it's time to hedge. Tony Zhang. Carpets and flooring with Mohawk. I'm buying a call debit spread to play for upside. Mike Coe. Hedge when you can, not when you have to. So I like Q put spreads. And also always consider covered calls on stocks that you own, like the one in City. That does it for us. Have a great July 4th weekend. Special edition of Fast Money up next.